Hey, Dream Chasers, wanted to share a trigger warning for this episode for anyone who may be sensitive to the topics of child abuse or molestation. Michaels talks about a story of one of the ladies who joins his group. And so it's after the 20-minute mark. I can't give you a firm time because of post-editing. It begins with Michael sharing a story about a young lady who walks into the group. He literally says those words, a young lady walks into the group. When you hear that, if you are sensitive and want to skip over that, please skip forward three minutes. Three minutes will get you past the story and onto the show. So just want to share that with you guys in case anyone is sensitive or mindful of that. Please do what is necessary for your mental health. If you have to skip the rest of the episode, that's fine. Uh, Just skip forward three minutes. Um, If you can't listen to this episode as a result, completely understand. Please be mindful of that and take care of your mental health first. Okay, so once again, Michael starts with a young lady walks into the group. And that is the warning for when a story is mildly sensitive and just skip forward three minutes and that will get you past that. All right, guys. So on with the show. This is Michael Arterbury, a.k.a. Mighty Mike, and you're listening to the Chasing Dreams show with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Dream Chasers, this is Amy J. Thank you guys so much for tuning in on this June 24th. Guys, can you believe it? Episode 225. 225. Crazy. But I got a good speaker for you. I got a new friend and, you know, he came across my desk and I was looking and I was like reading about him and I thought, hmm, okay, all right. We got to get him on the show. And I was very excited because as a teenager, Michael was fortunate fortunate enough to receive guidance from positive adult role models to help him overcome adversities and set high expectations for his future. So in turn, he wanted to give back as well. He dedicated his professional life to helping people navigate the difficulties of life and launch their future into motion. So he is the author of Be Encouraged, 250 Days of Motivation and Encouragement, a daily motivational book. And so you know, that hit a chord with me. And one of the reasons I wanted him to be on the show is because of his self-initiative that he has and because I saw some of his demo reels and his speaking and I was like, you know what? This will be fun. This will be fun. So, Michael, thank you so much for for coming on the show and just sharing your knowledge ahead of time because I know this is going to be a good one. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, the energy definitely. I I I feel something that's very, like you said, uh, similar. We we definitely have a lot of things that are common, and that really goes for some great conversation. Absolutely. So, guys, just a FYI, it is June twenty fourth when you're listening to this, but Michael and I are recording this in April. So at this time, we are both under stay at home orders. That may not be the case as the time you're listening to this, but you know. What we say doesn't change just because COVID is here or if you're a stay at home. So just want to put that out there as a heads up. All right. So, Michael, I got to ask, 
In your introduction, I said, as, as a teenager, Michael is fortunate to receive guidance from positive adult role models to help him overcome adversities and set high expectations for his future. For a lot of these guys who are listening, they're looking back and they're thinking about their childhood. What, what was it you went through and had to overcome? What was it that Michael, little Michael, wanted to be when thinking about his future? All right. So check this out, Amy. I want to start with a story and the story will will give you um, give me a nice setup of who I am, but also you and your audience. You know, it, it, it's, it will allow you to kind of take it and and compare me to it. So anyway, I'll get started. It's about a farmer and a donkey. All right. So this donkey is one of his favorite farm animals. And the reason why is because after they work on the field together, he brings the donkey back to his house. And when he gets back to the house, his kids come running out and he allows his kids to play with the donkey. They wash them, they ride them, they pet them. So he's more like a farm animal slash pet. And when they're finished during that evening playing with them, you know, he normally releases them back into the to the farm. They go inside, they eat, they go to bed, and the day starts all over. When he comes out the next morning, he calls for the donkey and the donkey doesn't show up. So when he doesn't show up, the farmer starts walking around the farm and he's calling his name. And finally, he hears him making donkey noises at the bottom of an empty water well. See, during the night, yeah, during the night, he wandered and he fell into the empty water well. So when he gets over to the well, he looks down. Obviously, he wants to pull his donkey out. So he gets six of his friends. He brings them over to the well and he says, hey, listen, how are we going to get him out? So one of his friends says, you know what? Let's get some rope and let's pull him out. So he's like, yeah, that's a good idea. So they all get some rope and they start to last with the donkey. They throw the, the rope down. They miss him. They throw the rope down. They miss him. They throw the rope down around his neck. They don't want to pull that one because it'll choke him. So they loosen it up. They throw it down again by his hind legs. He's smart enough to step in it. They shimmy it up his body and they start pulling. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. Then halfway up the well, they realize that the donkey's too heavy. So they lower him back to the bottom of the well. And now the farmer has to make a grim decision. Now, see, he can't feed him food at the bottom of the well from his family because that wouldn't make any sense. You know what I'm saying? So he can't do that and he can't starve him because, you know, he's more like a pet. So to leave him down there hungry, that doesn't settle too well with him, you know? And then he had his hot-headed friend that was like, hey, yeah, just shoot him. And he's like, no, no, that's violent. So one of his more reasonable friends said, listen, you don't want your kids to fall into the well. So we're going to have to cover them with some dirt and and make sure that your kids don't fall in the well. So you're going to have to sacrifice your donkey, but your kids will be safe. And the farmer was able to deal with that. So they all grabbed shovels, Amy, and they start shoveling. And every time that dirt hit the donkey, he would scream. And every time he would scream, it would cause the farmer some distress. Dirt, scream, dirt, scream, dirt, scream. Then all of a sudden, the scream stopped. And when the scream stopped, they gave the donkey a moment of silence. But then they went back to work. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Then all of a sudden, you see the donkey's right ear. They're like, whoa. They start shoveling cartoon style. Now you see half his body. They keep shoveling and shoveling. And the next thing you know, 
that donkey walks right out of the well that he fell into. So check this out, Amy. Every time that dirt came across the wall, it would fall on his back. He would shake it off and he would step on it. And he took every scoop of dirt that was meant to kill him to save his life. Now, see, I tell you that story because you asked me what or what did I go through and what kind of sets up my life. You know, what I've been able to do is I've been able to take the dirt that I've gone through in my life. I've been able to shake it off and I've been able to step on it. I grew up in a home with an alcoholic dad. Matter of fact, I can't even say alcoholic, just alcoholic. He was a raging alcoholic. And the reason why I put the raging in front of it is because raging, I mean, this man raged right up until the day that he died when I was 16. And so creating that environment for a young person growing up, I was never, I never felt safe. You know, I have a memory of sitting in my kindergarten class and I'm, uh, the kids are playing with blocks. I'm playing with the blocks as well. And I'm peeking over at the kids. And for a moment, I realized the innocence of us being in kindergarten. They're playing, but all I can think about and I'm consumed with is what's going to happen when I get home that night. And I'm like, wow, does, does every kid have to really deal with that? You know, so, you know, an alcoholic father, um, I, I grew up in poverty because I had both full-time working parents, but my dad spent his money in the street. My mother was a housekeeper. She cleaned homes. She didn't make much money, but her salary raised four kids because his his salary didn't come in the house. So, you know, we didn't really get much, but I was a good kid because I would never ask my mom for things that I knew she couldn't buy me because I never want to put it in that position, you know. Around my neighborhood, as far as the dysfunction, you had um, drug addicts, you know. I mean, I had the bums that, like, hung out on the corner. Matter of fact, in my apartment where I lived, um, the, my landlord had a basement which had a, a boiler that would work every so often, he would leave the door open and he would let some of the street bums actually live in my basement, you know what I'm saying, while I was living there. So, you know, uh, a lot of my friends ended up going to prison. They got hooked on drugs. And what I was able to do, and it's something that I teach young people and adults, is I was able to live in that environment, but I was able to not allow that to dictate what my future was like. You know, so when I tell a donkey story, you know, nobody told me the donkey story while I was growing up. But when I put it together, I realized that each time that dirt would come, I would shake it off and I would step on it. You know what I'm saying? And what it brought me to is, you know, I wanted to be uh, a football player. I'm very athletic, very much in shape. I was an elite athlete, if you allow me to be honest. So the, the football was my goal, my aspiration, but I didn't like to go to class. So you have to be able to go to class if you want to be a star. So, you know, I ended up not being able to go off to a big school. But in the process of going through that, I realized that I had a gift for young people and not even young people. I have a gift to make people feel comfortable. And so I started to spin that out. And I started with um, working with the youth. So I ended up creating my own nonprofit for the youth um, and realizing that they were responding the way they were. I brought it to the stage. 
And so even though I, I felt like I, I, I dreamed, my dream was to be a professional football player, um, you know, the, the motivational speaking and creating a nonprofit is where I ended up. And I'll finish with this. You know, I wanted to work for myself, Amy. And one of the reasons why I wanted to work for myself was my mom being a maid when I was a kid. I would go with her to work and I never forget we would walk into the house and, you know, normally it would be the kitchen and these people would leave a list of things they wanted her to do for the day. And I would watch her read the list and then go about her work. Now she just left my house. She just cleaned my house. She just did all the cooking and the laundry. And I watched her read this list and then go into doing that for them. And I told myself when I got older, not me, I wasn't going to work for anybody. There's just so much. There's just so much. I'm like blown right now. I mean, from the story. Cool. You knew this. You knew this is going to be my reaction. I'm like, oh, my God. Where do I even? Uh, first of all, it's an amazing story. And second of all, congratulations. That's phenomenal. Um, let's, let's take, let's take it back. So love the story. Don't love that you had to go through all that, right. In order to, to be a reflection of the story, of course, but you know, how is it that you had such a positive mindset? Because in that, that kind of environment that you described, right. Even with the donkey feeling the pain, it isn't easy to not feel sorry for yourself, sorry for yourself, or to let the circumstances take control of you versus you taking control of the circumstances. How did you face that? Um, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual man. So, you know, I have a relationship, you know, uh, with God. And I say that because God blessed me with the athletic ability. So my athletic fields became my respite. You see, so with all that craziness going on, Amy, practices and see my mom, you know, not being into therapy, she put me into the sports to get me from the madness, not knowing that it was therapeutic. And what I ended up doing, the reason why I say elite, listen, let me tell you to, to be, I'm going to keep it 100 with you. When I graduated high school, I played basketball, baseball, football, and soccer. I could have gone to a division one school for all four sports. So what I did is I took that energy in my house, Amy, and I emptied it. When you saw me play football, I played like a wild man. But what I did is I was able to channel all that stuff that was going on um, into my athleticism. And, 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 and then also because I was so good, the bad going on in my home, people love me. My town loved me. My teammates loved me. My coaches loved me. So it, it would override some of that negativity. Okay. So in the spirit of being honest, let's be honest, your reaction and how you handled that, right? In, in having it such a healthy outlook of things, right? In comparison to how kids and teenagers are dealing with things today is not common. Right. Wow. It's not. I've never had someone say that to me. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not phenomenal. Like, let's call a spade a spade. That's incredible what you went through. 
right? And I love that you were able to do that because what you did was you found a healthy outlet to let it out. You could have easily have allowed the circumstances control you, but instead, God blessed you with the ability to face it and handle it like the donkey and have the presence of mind to use it. So that's phenomenal, guys. And it's not common. So I want I want the guys listening to understand that if you didn't handle your situation the same way Michael has, that's okay. That what he went, what he did was incredible. And so, Michael, I have to ask because it's not common. The fact that you took a stand to address it. It's also not common. When did you start the nonprofit? At what age? You know, so what I did is, um, so imagine I now have this history. Mm-hmm. I go to college and while I'm in college, um, I realized I picked social work as my major. So okay. I majored in social work and realized that I had a gift with the youth. And so I went into working with the youth. Um, I started working for a nonprofit. They would give me curriculums to work with the, the, the students and um, they wouldn't work. And then they would yell at me, Amy. Oh, we bought this curriculum. We spent all this money. What do you mean it doesn't work? And I'm telling them, if I could, if you let me buy it, I wouldn't have bought it in the first place. <laughs> and so what I said is, you know what? Let me, let me fix this. So I went into my little laboratory. I was doing some volunteer work for uh, a program in a maximum security prison. It was called AVP, Alternatives to Violence Project. And it was some really powerful material. And so what I did is it's volumes and volumes of activities. But with my experience there, my social work experience, my lifelong experience, I mixed it all together, went into my laboratory, and I created a two-level curriculum that I bring into high schools. Um, And what it is, it's two full days. So imagine you're a principal, Amy. When I come to you, I ask for a cross-section of students. So I got 25 to 30 students in the room and I want white, black, Latino. I want honor roll. I want athlete. I put them in the room and I walk them through a two day experience where they get to self-reflect, but also get to build community with the other students in the room that they would not normally speak to. And see, what I do is I start by telling them the story of the donkey. I show them a picture of that house where the bums live in the basement. I explain to them how it feels to live in that house. But then, Amy, I show them the raised ranch that I live in now. And they get to see. So I I, I disarm them by being transparent from hello. And we start going through the journey. But I created the nonprofit in like 2006. And the reason, oh, wow, girl. Come on, you it, you good I'm, with I'm math? Are you good with math? Are you good with math? There's a phone okay, come here. Come on, hit it up. There's a phone yeah, here. Yeah. What, what we doing? Yeah, okay, so I'm 52. Okay. So let's just reverse it back. 52, 2008. So 12 years, 52. So you were like 40? I was younger than that. Maybe 2006 through 2006. 2006. You're 52 now. 38. 
take on it. Okay. That sounds a little better. <laughs> yep, yep. So I was, uh, yeah, that sounds better. But yeah, I was, I was 38. I was 38. You know what I'm saying? So, so he, here's yeah. the thing. So I am yeah. uh, 39. So okay. about, about the, that age. Right. And right. I, the fact that you came up with putting a nonprofit together and you do this full time now. Yeah. It's, it's how I make my living. So, there's a there was a story and I'm, I'm trying to pull it up first because see this this is what happens guys I just let them t- tell their story and then I'm like wait a minute we gotta <laughs> talk about this for a second because what was the reception because that's the principle that's the kids right what is the right. reception you're getting the results you're finding with your program what oh, happens man can we talk about me, that a little me, bit please oh no, yeah we sure can we sure can listen let me tell you something kids. And this, whenever I post about it on my social media, Mm -hmm. I say the program is not a program. It's an experience, you know, and the change, my tag is the changes in the show up. What happens over that two day period is that I allow these young people to walk back into their stories and find out where the landmines were that they stepped on. But they didn't realize that they had had some damage. See, they're making decisions in their present life over things that happen throughout their lives. But the decisions that they're making are based on something where they have control to make the change. So what I talk to them a lot about is we're going to go back in the story and we, we talk about it as dirt because they have the donkey story. I tell them, we're going to touch this, your dirt. You're going to feel it. But what I promise them and they have to promise me is we can't stay. We can't stay there. Let's go back and visit. And I make sure before that two days is up, when we walk out of that room, that they're back in that present room and we're moving forward. But what these young people, because the energy I create in the room, the stories that I get, I mean, I get, I mean, when you're talking about jewels, I mean, I'll just give you one. Um, I had a young lady that came into the group and she was, she was like her anger, like she was real angry, Amy. So like, like I could feel the energy and I didn't like it. So I was like, I'm going to try to break this. I got two days to do it. Right. So every chance I got, you know, I would roll up next to her, make a joke. And she would partially laugh, but she was, she was tough. And I kept doing it. I kept doing it. Then at lunch, while they were eating lunch, she was, her and her girlfriends were looking at a a phone, watching a video. So I snatched the phone, you know, being funny. And when I snatched the phone, it was a video of her fighting. And Amy, when I saw this girl fighting, I was like, whoa, I couldn't believe it. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't believe that, um... That, you know, she was so angry. So, you know, during the rest of the workshop, any chance I got, I would try to get around. Her and I said, yo, her name was Lexi. I said, Lexi, listen, you got to do something with that anger because, you know, it's really bad. So I said, once this is over, you got to promise me that you're going to go get some help. And then each one of my groups, I mandate that there's two teachers. So I told the teachers in the group, listen, when this is over, you got to get Lexi some counseling. Now, I tell you this because the environment starts to get cozy and Lexi drops on the group. Why she's so angry? 
Check this out. When she was growing up in a house, they let a man move into a house. Uh, yeah, you know where I'm going, girl. Mm. She, they let a man move into a house and he molested her. But check this out, Amy. She told her mother and her grandmother, yo, they didn't do anything. They did nothing about it. So now she's wounded. Now she's still going through life. No counseling, no nothing. Now they let her uncle move into the house. He molested her. She goes to her mother. She goes to her grandmother. Now that's the mother's brother, the grandmother's uh, son. They do nothing. Now you got this girl with this big open wound and she's walking around and any chance that she can get it off, she did. And that's what you saw in the video. Right. But this story doesn't, let me, let me finish the story. Check this out. So at the end of the workshop, now she's told us this. I told her when she left the room, make sure you get some help because I'm nervous for you. Listen, Amy, two weeks later, I get a message on Facebook. They like, did you hear about Lexi? I'm like, no. They start writing me. Two girls and their boyfriend came to a house to jump her, not knowing her history. She came out the house with a butcher knife and scissors. She killed one of the girls and punctured the lung of the boyfriend. And she went off to prison. You know what I'm saying? So it's a horrific story, but I'm telling you this because the fruits of what we get during that group, Lexi took it someplace and didn't really learn from it. But those young people take these journeys where they really, they really, I call it a, a second birth. It's healing because it's the first time that they've been able to verbally put it out and hear it echo off the walls rather than having it trapped in their hearts. So. That's that's tough. That's yeah. tough. I mean, yeah. you some can take it and turn it into something good. I mean, it's not that you should ever stop what you're doing, right? Because you're giving a chance. It's not ever going to be a hundred percent success rate. That's unfortunately, for anything we try, right, right, we're not right, going right. to have a hundred percent success yes. rate. But it's the rate that you get. It's the people that you help that makes that difference. That makes it worthwhile what you're doing because. You're essentially creating and helping them figure out what their channel is. Yours was football. Yours was sports. Yeah. What is it for them? And you're right, you're doing right, it throughout. Right. And you went ahead and you created this book. Right. You created this book, 250 Days of Motivation and Encouragement. Talk to me a little bit about right. why you created this book. You know, I um I I started by writing motivational, inspirational things on my Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And so each day I would write an entry, um, sign it off, be encouraged. And I just went about my day, but I did this for like three years. And so a woman with cancer reached out to me and she says, Michael, you should put it in a book. She says, I wish I had a place where I could go and get it rather than having to keep going back to the computer. And when she said that, my wife, um, you know, my wife is an author. Um, and so now we have two, obviously, in the family. But anyway, and she went back and we got all my all my posts and we started pulling them off and we st selectively picked them. And if you look inside the book, it's dedicated to the woman that actually gave me the idea. And so the the each page, you know, what I do is before I would write them. So. 
I would take my own study time being a spiritual man. I would study for myself first and whatever my study time brought to my spirit, I would write it on the paper and then I would post it on the, on the wall. So each page that you read is really, and it is an extension of me personally. But what I find that when people read the pages, they say that they feel like I'm reading their mind, but you know, it's about, you know, when you talk about being encouraged, Amy, it's, it's about people. Sometimes you don't have to solve a purpose person's problem. You just have to acknowledge that you hear what they say. And so when you read a page, I don't always give you the answer, but you read something that echoes in your mind and you say, wow. You know, this dude really went through something similar than I did. And it brings comfort to people when they're able to find that there's similarities or people have struggles that are, are, are kind of similar or consistent with what I went through. What you're doing is I love it that you made it into a book because you're able to help more people at a larger volume, yes. right? And in a larger stand. And so even with your uh, nonprofit and the work you're doing in the classroom, there's a there was a story about a teacher, um, which is what I was trying to pull up. Um, one teacher's brilliant strategy to stop future school shootings. And you may have heard of what she's doing. And so she, every Friday afternoon, she asks her students to take out a piece of paper and write down the names of four children with whom they'd like to sit the following week. These children know they may, their request may or may not be honored. She also asks the students to nominate one student who they believe has been an exception exceptional classroom citizen that week all ballots are privately submitted to her and every single afternoon friday afternoon after the students go home she takes out those slips of paper places them in front of her and studies them and she looks for patterns who's not getting requested by anyone else who can't think of anyone to request who never gets noticed enough to be nominated who had million friends last week and none this week she's looking for lonely children She's looking for children who are struggling to connect with other children. She's identifying the little ones who are falling through the cracks of the class's social life. And she's discovering whose gifts are going unnoticed by their peers. And she's pinning down right away who's being bullied and who's doing the bullying. And it's an amazing technique. And, and she's gotten a lot of uh, praise for that technique of kind of working towards helping children who are feeling alone, who are feeling lost. And what you're doing, I feel, is in a similar vein. You're coming into these schools and you're not as consistently as this teacher who's the same kids every day, but you're going around and you're helping students across the county, across the state, across the country and helping them. And the thing is, is it has a ripple effect, right? If anything that this COVID-19 coronavirus thing has taught us is that every single person is important. And that every single person is connected. And the work you're doing, just want to be clear, and I hope you guys who are listening understand this. The work he is doing, while not pretty with the stories you hear, while not easy to hear what you're hearing, right? Or the feedback, you're making a difference in the life of a child who is going to impact someone else around them. Right. It doesn't all turn out the way the Lexi story did. And so I, I want to commend you. That's fantastic what you're doing because it's a ripple effect, right? That's helping those 
around them. Hey, I wasn't in that session. Man, I wish I was in that session. What did you learn? And it just kind of goes that way. And I think it's something, and and maybe you can kind of help us who are listening now. What is it that we can do? You know, I, I know you do this a lot for, for kids, but use us as an example. This audience now that's listening, can you help us as we try to figure out what's going on with ourselves? Right, right. Let me let me just say this before I go there. Sure. Um, I use I use the Lexi story to show the depth of where the students go. Yeah. As far as the good story, like outcomes, I have I, I have loads of them. Oh, I'm sure. I use Lexi because I just wanted to show how deep they go. So I, oh, you know, sure. I, 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 yeah, you know, I want everyone to understand that there are good stories. But what I would pass on to your listeners. And it's something I don't want to say I, I've done it during Corona, um, but self-reflection. See, 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 you know, um, if you're if you're into your faith, you, oh, let's even just say the universe for everybody. Sometimes you start moving too fast. And, and, and in, in, a, in the life of a man of faith, God will slow down your life if he wants to talk to you. So he'll bring something and he'll make you pump those brakes so that he has the opportunity to sit down next to you and talk. Now, I say that because this 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 time for all of us should be time for us to self-reflect and find more accurately what your purpose is. And what I mean by that is so many times we get so busy. People think that busy is equal to progress and that's false. And so what we do is we get busy doing things so that we don't have to listen to the things that are going on in our minds and not even realize that we're placing a majority of our energy in a place of, of that's not relevant. It's not where your purpose is. It's not where your heart is. So during this time, I would self-reflect, really get some deep insight on who you are and figure out, am I at a place because I got bullied and forced or pushed into that place just to survive? Or am I in a place that feeds my spirit and makes me feel like I'm really in a place where I'm, I'm, I'm productive? So I, I love that. And I, I want... I want to take it a step further because I think a lot of people right now are feeling um, lost, right? A lot of people right now are in an uncertain place because their jobs have been furloughed. They've been laid off. Their businesses had to close. And so they're feeling uncertain, right? What do I do? And I think, you know, your advice is so important, especially for them. So if I... If I was one of those individuals, right, I'm feeling lost. I'm like, well, Michael, obviously I, I lost my job. That That's how I'm feeling. I lost my job. What do I do about that? Right. How do okay. you respond to that? Check this out. I got something beautiful for you, Amy. I love it. You're asking all the right questions. You know, I wrote something in my book and I talk about the fact that we, we can survive on broken pieces. So imagine being on the water and your boat crashes and it starts to dismantle. 
But by the time it's done and you get to the shore, you still have pieces left with you. See, what people have to understand with life is so many times we carry weight that's not supposed to be carried. You feel like you lost your job. You feel like your life has been turned upside down. Some of that may not have been for you. And so you have to look at what you have left as your broken piece and take the pieces that you have left because as a man that's spiritual, anything that leaves us wasn't meant to be for us anyway. So you have to look at it and change their perspective. But I'll leave you with this also. People have to be careful not to drown in shallow water. And what I mean by that is when you survive on the broken pieces and then you get to the shallow water, people drown. And what I mean by that, to give you an example, you get couples. One of the couples, husband or wife has cancer. They fight through the cancer. They stay together for the cancer. And then they divorce as soon as the person gets well. See, they got to the shallow water and rather than standing up and walking out their lives, they drown. So, you know, it's all about perspective and getting it from a fresh perspective in the first place. I love that. I love that. I mean, how true is that? How true is it? Because, I mean, look at the biggest boat that sunk. If you look at the Titanic, Rose survived on that door, even though there was room yeah. for Jack. She ain't let him on, but she still survived yeah. on that broken piece, didn't she? It sure did. I mean, yeah. That's that's some deep stuff right there. Y'all. Right, right. And, and and what I love most about it is that's regardless of your situation. Yes. Right? The only constant thing in life is change. And that's it. I know we're we're not gonna argue the politics of whether people saw COVID <laughs> coming. All right, we ain't gonna argue that. But it's here. Right. Whether you saw it coming or not, it's not what you normally would have expected for us to be. When January first came. 99.8% of y'all knew thought that in April you'd be barbecuing outside, having a good old time, not stay at yeah. home locked in wearing masks, right? Right. It, it just came out of nowhere, as does a lot of things, loss of jobs, diagnosis that uh, is not good, et cetera, et cetera. And I love your analogy because it hits all of that. Yes. All of it. And the shallow yes. water? Come on now. Yeah, girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to drop that one in there. You know, because it's so true. It's so true. And so I, I, I that's, and, and when you talk about when I motivate people, the way that I break down my words is the way I maneuver and, and move people. You know, I have, I have what I call a gift where when I go into a room, I quiet my spirit. And in the spiritual world, we call it the Holy Spirit. And I let it speak. And so I listen to everything a person says and people don't understand that if you listen properly, a person will tell you everything you want to know and what I'm able to do. And so, you know, for your listeners, um, I'm able to take what a person says and piece together the jumble that they feel they have in their mind. Now, I'm saying this not because I want people to be relying on me, but you just said it. Sometimes if we slow down and we, we maneuver and position ourselves properly, sometimes it's all about just finding the proper perspective. 
You know what I'm saying? And when you find a proper perspective, it gives you, you know, I tell the kids in my group, I can't change what's going on in your life. And I tell them this right out the gate. But I said, there's one thing that I can promise you in the two days. I can change your perspective. When you walk out of it, you will look at what's going on in your life from a totally different place. And I always deliver on that one with the young people. You know, um, our guest last week, um, last episode, Melanie Klein, she was talking about how, you know, obstacles and how instead of looking at it as obstacles, look at it as opportunities. Opportunities, yeah. Right? Looking at it as opportunities. <laughs> and something you just said about listening and and how we should be listening. And, and it triggered a, a, a memory, an analogy that someone said is how oftentimes we listen. We don't listen to listen. We listen to respond, right? Yes, In order yes. to just give some kind of response back. I'm listening for that, but I'm not truly listening to what it is. And I think we are guilty of that in particular with ourselves and hearing what we're saying for ourselves. And it's only, you know, in the true moments, my, t- my times of change in the last uh, 20 plus years or whatever has really only come when I've taken the time to truly listen to my heart and listen to mm-hmm. myself without trying to anticipate what the answer is. Mm-hmm. And when you take a step back, and it's not easy, when you take that step back to actually listen for the sake of listening and not for the sake of responding, you might be surprised by what you get back. Yeah, yeah. Can I tell you something? I, I do activities. I do activities in my workshops. Mm-hmm. So each one of the activities have goals. Mm-hmm. So I, I do an activity to address this. Check this out. So imagine sitting in a circle. Okay. And I have three chairs. And on each chair, it has A, B, and C. So I have that on the chairs. All right. What I do is I throw out a subject controversial. So on purpose, it's a, it's something that's going to make people want to debate. And I tell them that if you want to speak, you can sit in the A, B, or C chair, but the only person that gets to speak is the person in the A chair. And they get one minute to say whatever they want about the subject with no interruptions, and you can't say anything. The people on the outside can't say anything, and if you want to go against what they said, you have to get in the B or the C chair and finally get in the A chair. And then that at that time, you get to go against what they say. And let me tell you something, Amy. You say it's not easy. It, it drives people crazy. They start wanting to shout from the outside of the circle. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to let the person finish what they're saying because they just, you know, and you know that you sit them. They, they, yeah. they're, they're neurotic. Yeah. But yes, you are so right. When you say we are conditioned, we shut our brains off when they're speaking because we are, like you said, coming up with an answer to what they're saying, and you miss. So imagine the world is full of miscommunication because the conversations are not complete. They're not complete. So, you know, yeah, you have to put some serious energy. And I'll tell you this, you, what people have to do is we, we have to start living conscious lives. What do you mean by that? What, what I mean by that is um, we, we are so selfish rather than selfless 
that we are only only thing that's important is is what's about us and not about other people. So check this out. I'll tell you an example. I was watching a um, and I tell this to my students because we do an activity that brings this home. But I was watching a, a TV special on a guy that jumped off the, the San Francisco bridge and he survived. I don't know if you saw it. It was a documentary. And so they, they interviewed, he survived. And then you know what he did, which was nice, is he, he, he created a nonprofit. And now there's a, um, there's rope. There's like rope so that oh. if you jump, the rope catches you. So, but he, he, he jumped off and he survived. But they interviewed him. Okay. So he's intact. I mean, he can walk. He, you know, he, he's, he's good. But when they were interviewing him, they went back to his apartment. And when they went back to his apartment, they start there. And the bridge was so far from his apartment, he had to take a bus. He had to take a cab. And as he's talking to the interviewer, he told them that if one person would have said to him, hey, buddy, looks like something's wrong. He said he would have called it off. He went through cabs, buses, walking on the street, and people were so not in tune. Not one person just looked at him and said, hey, something's wrong. And I teach that because conscious is being present. And I tell these young people as they tell their stories in this circle and they hear 25 other students with their stories, I say, how many times do you think you walk into a classroom? And if you were living conscious, you could see that that classmate may need you to just touch their back, may need you to just say, hey, buddy, is are you all right? And just living conscious changes the environment because people become more empathetic. So in the, in these times, uh, a perfect example that can be said is this debate currently that's happening on whether states should reopen, right? Yeah. And there are uh-huh. protesters in different states who are going down to their capitals and are protesting without masks, without social distancing, just out there protesting. And I mm-hmm. get it. This isn't an argument about whether they should protest or not. Here's what right. the argument it is. Understanding that your actions at staying home is helping other people. I understand right. there are concerns about jobs and, you know, doctor's offices and people needing to, you know, see medical professionals, et cetera. I get it. I do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The thought is, though, if you're going to protest, do it responsibly because yeah. by not wearing masks, by not social distancing, you're going to be the reason why other people are infected and why if you walk by the store and somebody who was responsible to stay at home goes to get medicine for their daughter or their baby and, you know, walks by you, you may infect them infect them without yes. intention. But yet there was an intention because you didn't take that mind to be conscious, to be careful and not do this. Right. Because we just talked about it earlier, how we're all interconnected. How yeah, if we just yeah. take a moment to think about our fellow man and how really us staying home while difficult and is a sacrifice is a heroic effort. And yeah, yeah, no, I agree. But you said something important and how just asking someone, how are you, can make a difference. 
Yeah. Right. So simple. So something that can be done while staying at home. You guys can reach out to your classmates, reach out to your coworkers, reach out to your friends, your family, strangers you haven't talked to. Um, two things I want to share. One is a friend of mine posted on Facebook how a friend who she hadn't spoken to in like five years reached out to her because she remembered that she had um, asthma and wanted to make sure she mm -hmm. was okay during this COVID time. They hadn't spoken in five years, but she just reached right. out through social media. And she said that made her day to reconnect right. like that and just be yeah. together. And the other is, you know, with we have at my job, my my boss has taken it upon himself to have a standing meeting just okay. half hour to make sure everyone's OK. Yeah. Let me tell you that just a half hour, it doesn't matter how crazy your day is to know that there's someone who cares how you're doing, who's checking in on you is very powerful. Yes. Right. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is. You know, sometimes, you know, I I don't go to the supermarket with my wife as much. But, you know, when I did, um, I would find someone with a cart and you'll see it on their face. And I would make it my purpose to come back around. And sometime before I left that supermarket, all I would say to them is it looks like your heart is heavy. And just that you walk away and you just plant that seed. So, yeah, I think making the effort is definitely something that can be a positive thing. Well, Michael, you're doing amazing things, man, with with the nonprofit, with the work you're doing, seeing positive results. I love it, man. I, I love to hear that. Um, guys, you should check out the book. Ch do we have a link to the book on the um, I'll make sure well, I we can put it up. Yeah, yeah, put it up. You can get it at Amazon. The, the title is Be Encouraged. I'm going to get yes. that link on the show notes, guys. Don't worry. I I'm going to find it. Uh, Michael, what is one thing these guys could do just today to chase their dreams? To chase their dreams, um, I, I think they really need to narrow it, you know, narrow it. And that, that again, we, we talked about that quickly before is, is really narrow it to something, you know, um, I'm big on not money, but happy, you know, like with my wife. She she worked in the corporate world and I'm talking about she made great money, but I knew that she wanted to write. And so, you know, knowing that she wanted to write, I never bothered her about it. But then I read a book by Bruce Wilkinson called The Dream Giver. And in the book, he talks about how we're all born with something that we want to do. And, you know, like the little boy that always wants to be the police officer, yeah. but he grows up and he goes a different direction. But that seed that was put in you about the police officer, a majority of the time is really something that you want to do. And, you know, once I read the book, I was afraid to tell her about it because I, we was living comfortable lives. And I knew that if I told her about the book, Rock I the knew boat. what she was going to, I knew it, I knew it. So I, I, I put it off and every barbecue we would go to Amy, I would find someone in the barbecue and I would tell them about it. And by the time we leave, that person would be like, oh man, I'm not going to work on Monday. You and told I mean everyone it for, but your wife? Eventually, <laughs> no, I told her. Eventually <laughs> I told her. And um, when I finally told her, you know, long story short, she is no longer in the corporate world. Okay. She's now a ghost. Yeah, she's a ghost writer. You know, she writes behind the scenes. She wrote a book. So there's a book that I wrote called Be Encouraged, but there's also another book called God Was Holding My Hand, 
and we could put that in the show sure notes thing. as well. Yes. She, she wrote that about my life story. So, you know, I've had what I talked about with growing up, but I also had a spinal cord injury. So she talks about how I was able to overcome that and continue with my life. So, um, you know, my advice to your listeners is, is you got to do what you love. You know what I'm saying? Like if I could get paid, not if I could do what I do, which we talked about tonight and still be able to put food on my table. It's not about money for me. So find something you really enjoy and not about collecting a paycheck. Yeah. I can't say it better. I can't. I can't. Yeah. All right, Michael, it's time to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. We got those. All right. I'm ready. Yep. All right. We got five questions up. Number one, have you ever taken a bad vacation? Oh yeah, yeah. Check this out. <laughs> All right. Real quick, right? Yeah, I answer it. Right? I answer the question you yes, asked me. Please. Okay. Okay. So um I was looking on these, my friends were telling me about how you can get villas in, in like uh Caribbean islands. And you can go online, you you see the villa. And I was hearing all these good stories. You get a butler and a maid. Ooh. And I mean, you know, yeah, a pool and everything. So I was like, and for a very good price. So, um, I went online and, um, you know, we were, I I looked at a bunch of the different places. Um, and then with my wife, I I selected like three, she picked one. And so we went off to Ocho Rios with another friend of uh, another family Okay. and girl, we, we get to Ocho Rios, we get off in Montego Bay and we're taking um, first of all, a, a, a broken down van picked me up. Now that right there, I was like, this is going bad. You know, if I'm going to a villa, you would have thought that a limo or something would pick me up. So this dude picks us up in this van. And so we're driving in the van and I'm like, now we're passing all the nice resorts. So we're passing the nice resorts. And I'm like, you know, I'm starting to feel iffy. And girl, we pull into this block. Now this is beautiful villa. But on one side is an abandoned house and the other side is a freaking junkyard. And the dude meets us at the gate with a gun in his freaking waistband. And, you know, we, it was that was the villa. Now you get inside, it was beautiful. But like when I stared out of my window to the left, I was looking at a junkyard and I stared out the window to my right. I was looking at, you know, this abandoned oh home, gosh. you know. And, you know, you had to rent the guy for the week. He became your chauffeur. So he took you every place that you had to go. And so it, it, but I did have the maid and you did have the butler, but you know, at the end, you know, and then he would take you to the beaches where all his friends, like, so they kind of looked out for each other and not the tourist spots. Now I'm a tourist guy. I want, I want, I'll pay extra money for the tourist stuff. So we went to his type of beaches all week. And finally, like that Saturday, he took us to the tourist beach and I tried, I wanted to tell him, dude, this is where this is I where wanted we wanted to come. To be- <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, this is, is where I wanted to go. So did you, yeah, were you so tense all the- week? Were you tense like on eggshells all week? Did you get to enjoy a little bit uh, of it? You know, no, you know, uh, I, I, once you got in the villa, you can let it go. I mean, high ceilings. I mean, it was beautiful. It did have the pool in the back. Um, you know, but uh, so I was able to release it. And then you had um, the maid was Jamaican. 
So uh, the authentic Jamaican food, you know, so, you know, you, there was some some perks to it. Okay. So I was able to find some silver lining, you know what oh I'm saying, God. in that. Yeah. I'm going to ask you next time I try to book something. Is this where you went? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make sure you don't go right. there. Right. All right. Number two, how do you act when you're angry? How do I act when I'm angry? Um, you know, check this out. I talked about a raging alcoholic father. Yeah. I say that because I'm able to shut it off. But I'm able to shut it off until you do. I'm, I'm very humble. But if you keep pressing, and I've had to do this before, if I go into my humble stance and you keep pressing, eventually I just say to you, I do bite. So I'm letting you know that if you keep coming, there's going to be a point where this smile on my face and, and to be God rest his soul. My dad left me nothing but that. And that's a temper. And the fact that if you really press me, I will bite you. And so, you know, I'm good with it, but if you run my patience long enough, you will see a side of me that has well, nothing I'm, to do with. In fairness, if you push somebody after a certain point, anybody going to bite back. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah, that's allowed so, after a certain point. Yeah. I didn't condone that, but I think it's the natural way it's of things. It's natural. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Number okay. three, what do you love about your hometown? What do I love about my hometown? Sports. This, wait, wait, my hometown. Hometown is where you grew up or? Hometown is, is where I live now. I'm going I'm to call it whatever you're claiming as your hometown. Okay, where I grew up, what I love about my hometown is um, it, uh, the same thing, the sports. My high school was totally, totally basketball, baseball, football, every sport. We produce athletes oh. and I played on those teams. And so we were able, you know, I remember we played a game called a Turkey bowl every Thanksgiving. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I live, I lived in New York and I would shop in New Jersey. So imagine as a high school student going to go clothes shopping mm -hmm. and I got free clothes because the guy watched me on TV in the high school football game. Nice. So that, yeah. So the sports like was big too. in my town. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I yeah. would. All right, number yeah. four. What's up? If you could have a lifetime subscription to any publication, which would you choose? Oh, boy. That's tough. That's right. like magazines, I, right? Yes, you can only pick one. Okay, pick one. Magazines. Um, wow. F bodybuilding. I used to compete. Oh, really? You know, so yeah, yeah. I used to. He's compete. a man of Once many finished, layers, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once I finished football, that competitive edge in me was there, mm -hmm. and so I had to find something to, to feed it. Mm. And so I liked to work out. I had gone to the doctor, and uh, he said I had high blood pressure. And he said either you lose weight or I'm gonna put you on medication. Mm. So I said, you know what? If I'm gonna lose weight, I'm gonna lose weight for a reason. And I, so I started to compete. Yeah. And so I, it would be, even though we have the internet now where you can go get it, I think to open a, a magazine and be able to read articles would be something I would do. That's it. That's, that's the way to go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Last question, but I, I think it's okay. an accurate portrayal. It's actually probably uh, in anticipation of the future. Who would you choose to play the main characters in a movie of your life? 
Ooh, Y'all might find this. This might actually happen. So, so dreamcast. The person. Oh my gosh. Who you got? My favorite. My favorite. Denzel Washington. Well, you can't go wrong with Denzel. Oh my god. Oh man. That that man. You can't go wrong. he, uh, he, He brings it. Any role, any I love that man on the screen. Okay, now, that's my bromance, my bromance, Denzel Washington. Hey, that, I knew that one right you, off. The you bat. were quick with that one too. Yeah, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Yep, my family knows too. I love me some Denzel. Well, let me throw a wrench in it. If if Denzel wasn't available, who okay. would be your backup? My backup, if Denzel wasn't available, who would be my back? Will Smith. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Will Smith is right, 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 right behind him. His performance in Ali alone was. Oh, oh, right. Big time. Big time. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah. Michael, yeah, thank yeah. you so, so much for coming on the show, wow. sharing the story, helping us out in how we can get clearer with our dreams, narrowing on what we need to do and just kind of connect. And it's so appreciated. No, no, I, I like, and I like your energy. You know, I've been doing these podcasts and the, the better podcasts are with the, the interviewer. The interviewer makes it. I mean, even though we bring the information, it's it's the person that asks the questions because I, you know, I have good energy, but if you don't pull it out, you know, I can kind of sound kind of robotic. So I, I, I'm, I'm happy for your energy. You definitely don't well. sound robotic, my friend. Not at all. Okay. But let all me right. ask you, if all these right. guys want to connect with you online, where can they go? All right. So let's get, get real quick um, on the exit. Um, I have an online course mm-hmm. that they can connect with me um, and I call it Shake the Dirt Experience. See the donkey, the dirt, but it's called Shake the Dirt Experience. So they can go to shakethedirtexperience.com and they can register for the course. It's an 11 week course. Where I do just like I do in 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 the um in my program is I walk people back through their stories and I allow them to use their stories as a catalyst to be successful. So that I want to put out there. And once the the the, the coronavirus lifts, I'm going to do conferences. So they're going to be in person. So there'll be two day experience, and they will be the shake the dirt experience um in person. But but besides that, on um, my website for my motivational speaking is michaelarterberry.com. There they can see um, my speaking engagements, my podcast, and get to know me on a more personal level. Um, my nonprofit uh, website is youthvoicescenter.org. Um, and, and, and they can go there and they can see what I do with my nonprofit. If they go to the website, I do advise that they say, uh, see the program in action, click on the video because they'll get to see what I do um, in action. Um, I have my uh, Facebook, Michael Arterbury. My, my last name is A-R-T-E-R-B-E-R-R-Y. You'll probably put that in the show notes. Um, LinkedIn, they can find me at LinkedIn. Um, and then my book. Be encouraged. Two hundred and fifty days of motivation and inspiration. Um, they can they can come and and they can get it at Amazon uh, Amazon and support me. Um, and I'm I'm the type of guy you reach out on Facebook, LinkedIn. What you get the energy on on the podcast. I'm like that. You know, I'm twenty four seven six three sixty five. 
You know, like I said, Michael Arterbury, a.k.a. Mighty Mike. And I say Mighty Mike because that's in my program. We get adjective names on the kickoff. And that's where I'm known countrywide. They know me as Mighty Mike. I love it. I love it. Guys, go check out Mighty Mike. Links will be in the show notes. You know, I'm going to link you up. You can find it at amyj21.com slash episode 225 episode 225 all the links will be there especially the books we'll make sure that they're on there check it out check him out mike thank you again we'll keep in touch guys until next time don't stop keep chasing thank you so much for listening to chasing dreams amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.